You are listening to Mike Seminary and Friends, a Q1 Network production. Gosh, you know, I've been around long enough and involved in a variety of sports most of that time being around long enough to have had the great pleasure of having great coaches and instructors and knowing a number of them. And it just, just to list some names, you know, I went to Shanley. So I, of course I knew Sid Sitchie was a legendary coach and instructor teacher too, by the way, Bob Feeney football over in Bismarck. Went to UND for a couple of years. Gino Gasparini was just an absolutely amazing coach. Stan Nelson, whose son played football at NDSU and went to play for the Patriots. Coach Nelson, just a legend in high school football over in Minnesota, just like Sid was in North Dakota. And then we come to golf, something that I'm just absolutely awful at it. And I'm going to find out today if there's any hope for me. And the guy that I've had the pleasure to join me today, and frankly, it was a suggestion by Greg Stasco, is really a legend in the profession of golf with regards to teaching and instructing. And I just got to say a few things about John Dahl's background. John helped, uh, he won the state championship when he was a student at Fargo North in 1969. He helped the North Dakota State Bison win the North Central Championship in 1973. He's in the Bison Athletic Hall of Fame, class of 75. He was inducted in 2001. He's still the director of golf at Oxbow, four-time KX Pro-Am champion. He won over 20 professional tournaments. Twice he was named the best teacher in state in the state by Golf Digest. In Minnesota, the Section PGA Teacher of the Year in 1995, 97, and 2001. And, and I could keep listing them, but I'd rather get to John and talk to him. John Dahl, welcome to Mike's Seminary and Friends. It's great to see you. How are you today? I'm terrific, Mike. Thanks for having me. So it's a pleasure. Greg pinged me. He said, you've got to get John on. He asked me if I knew John. And I said, you know, I, I think I've met John once, maybe twice, but I was, I was a fan for a long time, Greg. I, uh, growing up on the North side, being a former hockey player, I remember when John Dahl was this incredible hockey player at Fargo North. Uh, I seem to remember him, I think a year behind Wayne Wilson, if I'm not mistaken, who went on to play college hockey up at UND, and then he became this prolific golf uh, player, and then this prolific instructor and teacher at Oxville. So, do you play hockey anymore? No, <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I certainly don't. <laughs> I just had to ask that question. Yeah. because I, I, I'm, oh, that I'm, hurt. I, I'm, I'm sore <laughs> this thinking about it. <laughs> you were awfully good, John. I, I, I remember, that was back in the days, by the way, folks, when John was playing hockey, all of us. But there was not inside hockey until I think 1966 or seven, maybe. So everything was played outside for the most part. 
And so he, he was 30 below, you were playing hockey outside. And if a puck hit, she had hurt more outside than it did inside. At some point in time, John, you made the decision while you were an excellent hockey player that it was going to be golf or hockey. Kind of walk us through how you evaluated those two sports and why you ended up ultimately saying hockey is, excuse me, golf is where I want to take uh, John Dolan into the future. Well, actually, my father made one of the decisions because I had an offer to play at the University of North Dakota. And he, uh, he sat me down and said, you know, you just finished playing high school hockey. You had 55 stitches in your face last year, and you're going to have surgery on your left shoulder. You're not going to be a professional hockey player, so I think we better focus on golf. So that was a decision on hockey, which made sense. <laughs> you know, school scholarship back then was probably worth $1,000 a year, so it wasn't a monetary thing. And, and, uh, and I actually thinking I, I enjoyed country clubs uh, more than hockey rinks, so that was kind of the decision I made. Well, it was it was far less painful. For sure. That's a rough sport. I suspect you haven't had 55 stitches anywhere in your body since then, have you? No, no, that was that was the end of that. Yeah. The joke was that we would come in after a game and they dropped me off at the emergency room and then the team would go back to the school. So that, that was a joke I got real sick of. Before we move away from hockey, I have this memory, and help me if my recollection is correct. Before the Coliseum was built, didn't you play your games on the ice over by Washington Elementary School? Am I correct? Correct. Yeah, we played my sophomore year in high school. We played our games at at Washington. Yep. Uh Uh-huh. And then uh, my junior and senior year, we played in the Coliseum. Okay. I'm, yeah, I, I even remember watching playoff games there a little before you when Terry Fowler w- well, was sure. a, a goalie. That's correct. Yep. Yeah. So you've been in golf just a little bit, I think, huh. since. Go ahead. How long have you been playing golf? Well, I start, I'm, I'll be 70 in about three weeks. And I started playing golf um I think seriously, when I was about 11 or 12, I was playing a lot of baseball, uh, love baseball. But uh, unfortunately, I learned to throw a curveball when I was about nine years old. And when I was 12, I threw my arm out. Uh, so my baseball days were done. And then I really got serious about golf. Uh, my seventh grade summer, I was devoted uh, all my time to golf then. I, I, I'm going to have to ask this question. 55 stitches in your face one year banged up shoulder, threw your arm out young, playing baseball. Uh, you drive the ball a country mile, probably still do. You're kind of an all-in guy when it comes to sports, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, almost to a fault. Yeah, I, uh, I, uh, I don't know. It's just the way I go about things. It's just what I've always done. When I want to do something, I just did it for until I couldn't do it anymore. John, I didn't know your, your family. Was your father a golfer? Yeah, my father started golf late. His brother was a very good golfer. My dad started playing golf when he was maybe, he was a railroad guy, so he didn't think uh, golf was really, you know, he was kind of a, he thought it was kind of for sissies, but then he took it up and he really went 
at 38 or nine, he got down to uh, oh, nearly a fourth, probably a three or four handicap. So, which is quite a feat when you start golf at that late of age. So he got me into it and I just kind of tagged along. It helped you in college. Was your uh, in terms of staying real active, was there a scholarship available at that time for golf yeah, at NSU? Yeah, yeah, small scholarships. Yeah. Of course, back then it was not expensive to go to NDSU. For, you know, it was really almost $150 a quarter. So I, it was it was super cheap. Not anymore, but then it was. When you were in college and uh, competing in golf, is, was it at that time that you made the decision that it's also going to be a career for you? No, the story where I really kind of dialed into the fact it was going to be my career, I, would, I was working um, in the summer for a golf professional that was extremely, I was kind of in the back room cleaning clubs. I'd mosey on to the pro shop every now and then, but the members just really thought extremely highly of this i will mention names extremely highly and he made a nice living and i said you know i watched him and i said i think i can do this because there's nothing that I, I could deal with the members i could i could i could play golf pretty good i but i knew i could get better at that and i had a knack for teaching i had a degree in education i always did love coaching or teaching explaining things to people so i figured I could, uh, I could probably do that. So I just dove into it after that and turned out fine. After, after college, where, where was your first full-time uh, uh, position? Was it in Fargo? Yeah, it was, I worked in 1974 and 75 at the Fargo country club. Uh, then from there, I went to the Morehead country club for three years. And at the time then, I was playing golf competitively in the, in Florida and in California uh, for the simple reason that the golf business at that time uh, is changed, but to get a good job, you had to be a, not only a excellent teacher, but you had to be a pretty advanced player. So I knew that for me to, to get where I needed to be in the golf industry, this is back in the seventies. Now it's changed somewhat now, but I had to really, be a kind of a top level player just to get the get the uh, open the door to be a club professional and that's kind of why i competed all well you know traveled around competed in florida california and uh, got to the point where i could handle myself in the section which our section is minnesota north dakota and south dakota those three states is considered rpj section and as you were on the tour, so to speak, up here and then in Florida, mm -hmm. when and and you were still at the Moorhead Country Club. When did you end up at, at Oxbow? I I went to the uh, Watertown Country Club, uh, year seventy nine, eighty eighty one as a head professional there, and then I came to Oxbow in nineteen eighty two. And it, what, did, did it open in 80, 81? No, no, no. The first, they had played a couple rounds in 75. That was the year of the summer flood. Okay. Uh, so then it was really full full on at Oxbow 76, the first full year, 76. And for folks that are not familiar with Oxbow, 
there was a running joke in, in the beginning years that it was 15 miles too far south of Fargo mm-hmm. and 1,500 too far north. Exactly. It, and that was just because it was 15 miles south of Fargo. And that's it. You would go by, you know, prairie, wheat, corn, cows, and all of a sudden here was this country club. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it became it became the place to play for the longest probably still is for that matter and you're still there yeah yeah i'm still here it's uh uh 40 years now um like i like you mentioned i just for the last four years i've just been doing the uh, instructional side of it so but i really love it it's been it's a great place and we have a whole we have i don't know if people know but we have an entirely new golf course after the diversion project so we a clubhouse so Things have changed, but it's a great spot. Just a point, a point of clarification. So you now you're the director of golf. Mm-hmm. No, you're, I'm the director. I'm the director of instruction now. I just do the teaching. Okay, got you. When you were the the pro for yeah. thirty plus years, yes. Help, help me understand that. There, there. My understanding, and I opened this up. I, I said I'm an awful golfer and. I just got golf clubs, which means I probably should not be on a course with anybody around it for the time being. But I've always had this sense. There are pros that um, are really good instructors. There are pros that are really good at management. There are pros that are really good at um, uh, membership events. There are pros that are uh, really good at the events that help raise income and revenue for uh, the, the the club or the golf course or the country club. Were you one of those guys that was kind of all of the above when you were the pro at Oxbow? Yes, I. Uh, I uh, we had a lot of outside activity, which is outside events Monday and Tuesday, uh, to organize those, and then. Um, I was doing, always have done a lot of instruction and like that was not ever worked for me. So I was very lucky. Uh, some people it's kind of a drudgery, but I love it. So, and then of course I, it's, which is different now. I owned the pro shop, the merchandise. Uh, I, I then was, um, I answered to my own payroll. You know, I paid my staff. I owned the driving range. So, I mean, you had to do a lot of things. It was, it was seven months of, I, some years I didn't even take a day off, but you know, when you, you blessed to have a job that you really loved. And I had so many friends, I said 250 or 300 members that were really close friends. So it was not really, it was not really worked for me. So I was very lucky. A few minutes ago, you had mentioned how some things have changed. One thing I'm, Two, actually, I'm going to say two, two things I'm really curious about in terms of the most significant changes in two areas during your career in, in the profession. One, what's the, the most significant rule change that you've seen and what kind of impact has it had? And then the second, what's the most significant equipment change that you've seen and what kind of impacts has that had well i think as far as rule change that happened about i don't know six or seven years ago when they went 
when they they uh, banned long putters. And I've putted with a long putter, so I had a lot of my clients that were using them. Uh, now they're back using them with a little mi- minor adjustment that they can't anchor to their body. So I think that was a that was a pretty pretty controversial rule that uh, affected a fair amount of people because they were putted a lot better. And, and if you're a very poor putter, it's tough to enjoy golf. So that changed. Uh, I think that was a big rule change. And then the next would be, um, well, I would say the drivers, the, uh, the, the titanium, the different composites uh, of the drivers, uh, the golf ball also. So everything goes uh, quite a bit further. The irons, the equipment has changed a lot. The irons are just more forgiving, easier to play. There's a lot of different clubs that are easier to use, hybrids uh, versus before we had two and three and four irons that that were, you had to be very advanced even to hit the, hit the, uh, the clubs. Now they've made it, they make it much more friendly for a person to enjoy golf, which is kind of the idea, at least it's mine. Hmm. But before I leave that, um, I, again, I'm, I just actually the golf clubs I have were a gift to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, and, but I've, I've watched golf and I'm familiar with what's his name? Bernard Langer is yes. one of those guys that had those extended putters. Yeah. Is the reason they made that change because you, you, you could hold it against your body or what was the yeah. purpose it, of the change? It, 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 you could anchor it. You could anchor it. You could hold it up against your chest. So that fulcrum, the top part of the butt, but, uh, they call it the butt of the club. The end of the club was fixed. So they felt that that was just like a pendulum motion. And uh, and the people who really, the royal and ancient the, the, over in England, uh, it really stemmed. I think Ernie Els won the British Open and he putted with an anchored putter. And after he won the British Open, he said, you know, if they're going to let me cheat like this, I'm going to keep doing it. And then once he said that, then the ball started rolling because they, they didn't like they didn't like that comment. So that's when it changed. But guys like Bernard or grandfathered in is or. Well, he still puts one. He, he's one of the best with it. But he's you just have to you know, it's really a tough rule to actually uh, rule, because if I have it against my chest, I can move it an eighth of an inch and it's not against my chest and you can't even visibly see it. So it's, it's a tough, it's a tough one Mm. to monitor. Mm. You do a lot of instructing, a lot of, I'm going to call it teaching and coaching. And I understand coaches travel more than probably instructors. You've had the pleasure of uh, being an instructor for a lot of, folks over the years who are some of the most memorable in terms of whether they they may or may not be on the tour i don't want to talk about people that are just on the tour who are some of the most if you're allowed to say that if if you're allowed to mention any names well yeah i get it yeah i i think people would expect me to say tom hoagie who won that went on the pga tour and that's that was uh, enjoyable but um i think what i'm most proud of is over the years I think I've contributed over $3 million in golf scholarships to uh, kids that, uh, that I've taught. That's kind of my most uh, uh, cherished brag point. Um, and I keep on doing it I'll, and I'll keep 
explaining to them, especially the young gals, because both my daughters played division one golf on scholarship. So once you teach your daughters to play golf at that level, you learn because it's totally different deal teaching young ladies to play golf than young boys. Okay. You have to be very sensitive to a lot of different things. So I got a knack with that, with my two daughters. And then consequently, I teach a lot of young girls now because you got you to gotta know how to speak this, the language um, and they don't get mad, they cry. So you have to really be careful. So their ability, they don't have to be super, super talented like the boys side. They're very, they're almost professional by the time they get in, in the college and play college golf. But the girls just have to have moderate physical ability and they can, with Title IX, they can save themselves a lot of money and they hear that and they do it oftentimes. $3 million you, you personally have provided in scholarships? Yeah. Wow. Well, I've, I've, I've just gotten kids scholarships. Wow. You know, I've, been, I've been doing this for almost 50 years. So, I mean, yeah. and now today's age, if I send someone to a college, let's say pick a college, let's say it's uh, uh, Wisconsin where my daughter went, that's probably now four years of college there is two hundred thousand dollars so yep. it doesn't take it doesn't take too much to get to a million bucks yeah. just uh, not i guess it's not name dropping necessarily when they're family but uh, my niece is on scholarship at michigan her name is michaela schultz and so I've, i follow them a lot and then her aunt let me see would that be right so mark's wife's niece is morgan pressel oh, so yeah. fantastic so, and that by by that the first that's when i really started watching more golf when we would follow morgan she doesn't compete that much anymore um i think she's doing some announcing now doing a lot of announcing but yeah. went, went to see her at lpga and is it interlochen is that the name of a golf course over in the twin cities Correct. Somewhere? yeah yeah they had the u.s women's open there and it was amazing to be on a golf course following professional golfers um, and then being able to you know, follow a family member. So thanks for doing what you've done, especially uh, with female golfers. That's a big deal. Those scholarships are important. Uh, and golf is awfully, awfully important. So you've been, I'll use the, the number because you just threw it out. You've been doing this for almost 50 years. Do you love it as much today as what 50 years ago when you got started in this? I think probably more actually. Um, because if you're driven as much as I am towards it, you learn, you improve and anything you're improving at in the way I look at it, you enjoy doing it more because you, you know how to get the message across simpler, cleaner, um, people improve better and there's nothing more gratifying than watching someone when they're playing golf and their handicap is shrinking dramatically. That's, that's a real rush for me and watching them uh, enjoy themselves. It's, it's very intriguing, very, and, and of course, all the people in golf, almost all of them are such terrific ladies and gentlemen that uh, it's just as a fun atmosphere to be in. When did you start uh, doing YouTube videos? Well, that was probably, I'm just guessing, eight or eight, nine years ago. And a I do golf and I teach in uh, Phoenix in the wintertime and I do golf schools. <clears throat> so I have a friend down there that 
that works for me. And, uh, and he was watching me do my clinics and, um, and you have sessions with a dozen people and explaining this and that. He said, you've got to get this on, on YouTube. Uh, so that's when it started. And I do it in the, and I do about, we might go out and I might do 15 different segments and, and kind of why I do it is because I think about these things um, about, again, conveying a message. And if I, if I don't get it on tape or on YouTube, I keep thinking about it. So at least I know when it's got it is out there. I don't, then I can go on to something else. So I just have to clear, clear my, clean my brain up of the golf stuff for a while. And that's kind of why I put that stuff out there. So that's, that's kind of how it started. Well, I watched a number of them, John, to prepare myself for our conversation and do some research and a couple of things that, I really enjoy. First, I love how you close every one that I watched. If it sounds complicated, <laughs> it's wrong. Where did yeah. you get that? Well, because I've had this pet peeve. I think it's been almost all my life when people are explaining something, and I can sense that they're using terminology that they could they could use different terminology to make it easier for everyone to explain. So I can sense that they're using these big words just to try to impress whoever they're trying to teach to make them think that they really are knowledgeable. So, I, so it, it irritates me when they have a simple little process and, and I can barely understand. I've been teaching golf forever. So they're, they're trying to help a person that's, you know, a 30 handicapper using these terms i said you're trying to confuse them so that's how that got started you have to make it if i'm teaching an eight-year-old or an 80-year-old it's it's language that they understand i don't need to be a, going to a keynote you know like a the terms of the the, the plan the reflection the the the, the 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 dorsiflexion the hyperextension I mean, all those terms are fine when you're talking golf professionals, but not when you're trying to help someone and go from a 20 handicapper to a 15 handicap. They don't need to hear that. So they try to confuse them almost by on purpose, I think. So that's why I end it like that. If you're taking a golf lesson and the terminology that people are using, you're confused. It should, it should frustrate the instructor, but they just keep doing it. So that's how that started. I love it. It's just the first time I heard it, I thought that was brilliant. And, and, and I, so I wasn't sure if it was a part of your instructing or was just how you ended that video. And then I saw that it was consistent. I just think it's a brilliant marketing idea and it's, it also makes so much sense. And then somewhere else I ran across the, you making the comment, jump in the cage with me. Yeah. How did that come about? And how do you use that in, when you're uh, instructing somebody? Well, it's, it's oftentimes, you know, it's, I teach like I would like to be taught. Hmm. And, and if I have someone that I can sense has talent, and I said, I just tell them, if you jump in the cage with me for a while, you're going to come out a champion. I said, I can, I can 
I can do chumps real easy. You jump into my cage, I'm going to make you a champion. <coughs> Excuse me. And that's what I would have really loved to hear when I was 12 years old. Someone to actually say that, knowing that I would put in enough work, whatever they said, it just didn't happen. We didn't have the instruction. We never had video. We didn't have anything. We were just, you know, copying the latest golf magazine or something. So now if you have someone that has ability and say, okay, here's what we're going to do. You're a 10 handicapper this year. You're going to be a seven. You're a seven in three years. You're going to be a four. You're a four in three years. You're going to be a scratch. Because I said, when people do that and they commit themselves, I get it done all the time. But that's where the term came from. My cage, you come out a champion. Hmm. I'm going to be, by the way, we, it sounds like we both have birthdays in July. Yeah, it's your 20th of July, 70 years old. <laughs> six, six for me, I'll be 68. Okay, okay, boy. So, and I have these new golf clubs. Okay. What should I be doing with them, John? <laughs> well, people ask me that, and I said, you know, learning to play golf is, is, and I use the terminology, and they get it right all the time. I said, you know, if you really wanted to play the piano, people come up with the almost the exact correct answer. They say, well, I'm going to find an instructor that I get along with. It's got experience. I'm going to take a one lesson a week. I'm going to practice three or four times a week. Then I'm going to take another lesson. And then that's the process. And then you eventually maybe want to, you're, you play comfortably enough, like you could play a recital in golf. It would be a somewhat of a competition, but it's the same way. It's, it's a process that you jump into people. In, in golf, they sometimes take one lesson to cure a big flaw, and then then that's it. They don't they just don't keep on building on that on the fundamental. It's all basic fundamentals, and you just have to, like like I say, playing an instrument. There's times that you have to just sit down and you have to get a clear idea of what you're doing, and then you have to do it to improve. Once, and I, I use the same thing again. When you're up, when you're getting older, like I am, and I maybe now shoot mid seventies where, you know, for 25 years, I never went over par. Okay. Shot in the sixties. So when you're going, when you're going in that direction, it's not that much fun. Okay. It can be fun, but not that much. When you're going the other way, when you're just learning to play and the scores start dropping and dropping and dropping, that is when it's very, very, that's, that's when the drug hits and you are hooked. If you're shooting a hundred and you shoot 90 and then you shoot 88 and you shoot 85 you can't wait to get to the golf course the next day. Hmm. So there's hope. Oh, there's always hope. It's just, <laughs> there's always hope. Just have to apply. Who, who were your mentors? Obviously your father was in a lot of areas of your life, but who are your mentors in terms of your profession, your teaching and your playing? Well, the teaching part was uh, several, but the main person was back in the late 70s, a guy named Joe Nichols, who, who was a little bit uh, different, but I watched him teach for two years, and he, one thing that he got was results, and I wasn't seeing that from a lot of other people. If you were a big slicer, you were a hooker. If you hit it high, you hit it low, and he knew how to explain, it, and he got the job done, so that, that's, that's and, and that's how, how I got to look at someone actually trying to convey a lesson. He was a performer. 
And I said, now that's the way I want to do it. So, and then as far as instructional parts, there's so much, you know, there's bad golf books, complicated golf books, good golf books. And I, I, w- I was lucky enough for 25 years, I did corporate golf schools for 40 for Ford Motor Company. And, and I do 12 weeks of those with as many as sometimes 20, 25 golf instructors from all over the country. So it was a great way to, to learn, to ask questions, to watch. That was a, a real learning experience, 25 years of hanging out with some guys who've been teaching a lot, you know, most of the life like I had. So that was, that was a great learning experience. Playing, oh, I'd have to say, I'd have to say Tiger Woods, uh, what he's done. Um, pretty tough to argue with that, of course, Jack Nicholas, but Tiger Woods, uh, it's uh, what an incredible career if he would just stop injuring himself, but he's been, he's been an uh, incredible uh, story, what he's done. He's an, he's an amazing athlete, um, mentally tough as nails. Uh, just uh, yeah. absolutely a one of a kind kind of individual. I, I shouldn't, shouldn't say it quite that way. Cause there are some pretty remarkable athletes and players and mentally tough people out there, but he seems to be, he, he seems to be in rarefied air kind of all by himself at times. He's really something. Oh, yeah. 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 He's got a, he's got it all. He's got strength. He's got talent. He's got touch. And he's got a mind that uh, when the moment, big moments, he gets better. And that, that is not very common. I'm going to ask you a, a magic wand question. I'll probably end up asking you two of them before we're done. If, if you had a magic wand that you could wave over the heads of, let's just say it's a group of young young kids somewhere between the ages of nine and 12. And like so many of us, when we were that age, you, you grab some clubs or you rent them or whatever, you go out and start golfing. For those groups of kids that are pretty athletically inclined and, and maybe thinking about you know playing with some frequency, what, what's the one thing if you had a magic wand you could wave over the heads of them? What's the one thing you'd want them to know that they should do? Well, it's all about the basics, you know, it it's about the fundamentals and and they're boring. Um and uh, but I like I'll go back to the musical instruments. If you want the same thing with 12 kids and want to be good piano players, you do the same thing. They understand the fundamentals. They of and I wasn't a piano player, but I know if you watch a, a, a accomplished instructor teaching piano, there's a strict policy and procedures they go through. You have to do these certain things before you can do anything else. Now, if you're going to get kids that are and that's tricky because if you have 10 to 12 year olds. You've got to make it sound like it's a, a story. You found very, yeah, very simple, very trick them into it, have a story that they can. I mean, because I can make fundamentals sound extremely boring. I don't like to, but I, I make them for the kids sound very fun. And they could come with a rhyme or something where, okay, here's a grip, hip, and don't dip, or pierce your ears, roll your toe, and watch it go. Um, lots of things like that that they can, their job is to explain it, I tell the kids, when you're 12, you can go to a, your friend who's 12, who doesn't know anything about golf, and I'm gonna watch you give him a golf lesson. 
that should be done because this is not complicated. And you openly admitted it's not complicated. And I say, okay, go teach, buddy, teach your friend Fred there the basic fundamentals of golf. And once you can do that, you're on your way because now you know it. Now you just have to practice it. But if you if you watch a lot of people start out with bad fundamentals and then they in their DNA, I say to a lot of people, it's the first thousand swings, especially for the young kids. If that bad motion gets into that into that DNA and your golf DNA, it's it's really hard to chisel it out of there because you got to go to such exaggerations to make it come around so it, it makes some sense. So the first thousand swings made with even a bad grip position or hanging on to it wrong. And they watch balls go crooked. Now we got to change stuff. And now that's not comfortable. Then they don't want to do it. And I said, well, then there you go. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, it's tough. It's tough to break. You know, yeah. I was like, and we met, met Sid Sitch. He was a good, good friend of mine. Cause I hung out with all the Shanley kids, really Chucky Deutsch and all those guys. And, and uh, Dan Nicholson. And so in fact, Sid used to come out to take golf lessons, but Sid was an, ex- he was a fundamentalist because I used to even go watch occasionally him operate on that football field. There was no monkeying around. They never made any mistakes. They never went outside. We had better athletes, but we had 50 plays. He had eight. So I, I learned from <laughs> that. I learned from how he, and it was, it was exact. Everything was exact. And there wasn't no messing around. And that's kind of, I, I, I learned from that, that he separated himself because there was no monkey business going on out there. It was determined that we're going to do this, 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 and that. And as he, I remember we talking to him and his idol was Vince, Vince Lombardi. So he used those quotes. He said, we end up, we end up trying to be perfect and we end up with excellence. You know, all those things that I use for some of the young aspiring kids, you know, I, some kids don't have the ability to play, you know, big serious golf but you know they can certainly play golf for the rest of their life at a very respectable uh, level and that's kind of what most of my instruct is you're going to be able to play you know i had this one gal uh, katie hoff she played at shanley and she was a you know she was a mid 70 shooter so she went to law school in notre dame and didn't know a person so she set tens out of text she said i'm katie hoff whoever wants to play golf tomorrow morning at, I've got a two tee times at eight o'clock and eight oh eight. So she went out there with seven guys and herself, and she shot. <coughs> excuse me, she shot even par. She went from not knowing anybody to she knew everybody in that law school class in one day. <laughs> well, we tell you, you got a girl who's five foot two, cute blonde, and a good smart law student. She said that gal shot seventy two and beat all of us yesterday. That gets your attention. <laughs> you said a couple of things that reminded me of two things. One, m- my martial arts instructor, Mu Yun, that that's the sport that I probably excelled at the most. And then the basics of what is generally referred to as the 10,000-hour rule. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you want to get good at something... First of all, you have to have uh, you have to dedicate yourself to practice, you and it has to be perfect practice. If you you can't practice something that's flawed and become good at it, it typically has to be monitored by somebody that knows more about it than you. It's going to be boring. In fact, it, it in some ways it, it might suck because you're going to do the same thing over and over and over again before you 
add something to her to go to the next motion to, to add to your, your uh, quiver, if you will. Yeah. And that's the fundamentals of almost anything, whether you want to be a good lawyer, a good instructor, a good golfer, a good martial artist, a good swimmer, or a hockey player. You have to get good at the basics, have a good coach that's going to monitor what you're doing and be dedicated to the time that it's required to to get good at it. It's just the way it is. So, so yeah. that was the magic wand question for young people. Now, how about old farts like me, John? And and I'm going to say this with with all sincerity. I I know plenty of people that don't golf. Yeah, and start thinking about you know maybe and here I'm one of them, thinking about golfing. What's the one thing we should know about um, about, about about golfing? Yeah. About, yeah. Well, about about learning to play golf. Learning to play golf. Yes. Well, I think I kind of went back to the basics. Um, there are some. There's there's if 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 someone was learning to play golf. And they were taking a golf instruction or they had three lessons from another golf instructor. And I interviewed them about what they know. Okay. And if they said, here's the basic things that he has instilled in me. Now, unfortunately, I can't say that I would get the answer I wanted to get. Okay. Spend three hours with somebody. You're learning to play golf. You don't know anything about golf. What are the basics? Do you have a list of maybe seven or eight things that we have to establish to get to improve golf? Is that list, it, when I look at the list doing this 50 years, I'm not getting the answers that I want. I said, this is too confusing for me. And this is all I do for you. You've got no chance. If they would come to me and say, this, he is, we are disciplined on this. We are disciplined on this. We are disciplined on this. I understand everything I'm trying to do. I practice for 30 to 40 minutes every day, and I have feedback tools. I have maybe a small mirror. I have a video camera. I, I keep on working on this. My improvement, you have to get better. If anything in there is not in order, it's you can't be a good enough athlete to get good at golf. Hmm. Hmm. Well, if you, if you were a Taekwondo person i wasn't in martial art that's the, i guarantee you, it's discipline and people do unfortunately there's only a few that bite into that apple and said i am disciplined i'll do whatever you want me to do i'm going to improve at this game faster than even you can imagine i said you you tell me that we're, you are now in my cage dude i like that golf simulators are they of any value um, if you had a golf simulator and you had an experienced professional watching you move, I, I could dig it. Okay. People stand in front of simulators and I ask them, what are you thinking about? I said, nothing. I said, well, you're, you're not a very good golfer. You don't have the luxury to think about nothing. You know, advanced players on television, they're not thinking they're play, hopefully playing golf, thinking about nothing. But when the process and the practice and stuff, you're just sitting here hitting balls five feet into a net. I mean, in fact, sometimes if you, if, if you can, oftentimes you just, you just groove in problems. 
now they're doubly hard for the instructor to change enough to go through the exaggeration to make it right to make it feel uncomfortable and then you look at it that it does look right but this feels so weird and then they hit four four or five poor shots and they go back to what they knew or know didn't work i mean i they, that's not the mentality that i ever had i said i this has been time tested what you're doing does not work why are you continually doing it i don't know I just go out there for five hours and play like crap. I said, I don't understand it, but they do it. I mean, I'm jealous. They can do it. I never could do it. <laughs> Are you still taking students? Oh, for sure. Yeah. My, my schedule basically now is I teach about 20 hours a week. And I teach about uh, three to four lessons on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, a couple on today, Thursday, emergency lessons. And then, three on Friday and then the three on Saturday and then two on Sunday. So that's kind of my schedule. What's the best way for people to get a hold of you to. Uh, Just, uh, in, in the, my lesson book, my schedule is in the pro shop at Oxbow. They just call, they have it in front of them. So they just call and make an appointment. So just call Oxbow. Yeah. Yeah. The pro shop. Or go to your YouTube channel and ping you there. <laughs> I, I, I had a lot of fun watching that. If it sounds yeah. complicated, it's wrong. <laughs> okay, I appreciate it. John, what's the last couple of things folks should know about you? Well, I don't think there's really much to know about me. I, They know I love to teach golf and do it a lot. Um, you know, it's my life is good. It's been my life is actually pretty boring. You know, I work, I exercise in the morning for a couple hours. I come out here from one thirty to five o'clock and go home and have a little dinner and do the same thing over and over again. And then in the winter, I spend my times in doing the same thing in Phoenix, Arizona. So that's about it. Nothing too exciting. Well, Greg Stasco was right that you've got to get John Dahl on your podcast because he's got an incredible background. He's so knowledgeable. Um, I had a lot of fun visiting with you. Had it was a, really a treat just doing research on you. It, it helped. It refreshed my memory, John. Frankly, after being away for thirty-seven years and now moving back to the Fargo area, it helped me get reconnected to history and sometimes that sometimes that's good sometimes it's not so good that's, that's right but i sure enjoyed it uh doing some research I, thank you so much john for taking time to join me i think i've really learned a lot i'll be getting a hold of you and i look forward to connecting with you soon appreciate you coming on to mike seminary and friends today yeah thank you mike i really appreciate it you take good care yeah you too <laughs>